So welcome to a new year and welcome back to the origin of this podcast, discussing, talking to each other about what matters to us. And right now, beginning of the year, back to ourselves. What and how could we live a better life, a more fulfilling life? Well, we are taught that a balanced life is a more fulfilling life. Actually, just type into Google the search balance in life quotes and you will find no less than 1.5 billion results after a couple of microseconds, as you know. So apparently the secret of life is finding balance in everything we do. Basically, there is an equation, a balanced life is a happy life. However, the reality is that a balanced life is a happy life and then life happens and then we do not feel balanced at all. So there seems to be a flow in this logic. Actually, the question to me is, is balance by definition, not the absence of movement? And life is movement. So I would like to propose the following sentence. Life is movement. Movement is imbalance. Imbalance is chaos. So life is chaos. And for me, accepting imbalance is the first step to true happiness. Let me explain. Without movement, you're dead or a mineral. That may explain why there are so many inspirational posters on balancing stones and pebbles once you Google balance. Now, if you're not dead, life is always motion. To walk is actually a controlled imbalance of gravity as a means to move, as a means to move forward, as a locomotion means. In very simple terms, walking is simply falling forward in a controlled way. You go from a motionless state into a movement. So it goes for life. Any movement eventually, however, runs its course. In physics, all systems actually lose energy over time, eventually stop. There is no such thing. Nobody could ever find a perpetual movement. It's a bit like the philosopher's stone of physics. Hence, movement and imbalance can only be temporary once the system runs its course, when the system loses its energy. Hence, it seems, on the other end, quite logical that if imbalance can only be temporary per definition, balance should also be. In a balanced system, balance and imbalance should cancel each other out. There is a structural link between the two of them. There is nothing you can do about it, in my opinion. It just is. So enjoy it. Life is permanently in motion. You move from balance to imbalance and back indefinitely. Life consists out of balancing this apparent chaos. Accepting the chaos, accepting the imbalance as part of your life, as much as the balance, is for me the first step to true happiness. Individual balance is not a state in and by itself. Individual balance is a system which balances conflicting states. This is both balance and imbalance at the same time. And real individual balance for me 
is both harmony and disharmony, chaos and order. So from a young age, we are taught to seek balance. Actually, if we take religions as some kind of guidelines for an idealized human, ideal way of living, many of these, if not most, are actually teaching us about balance. Or at least these religions, these life philosophies, put it at the very center of what they think is a perfect life. So now, for some, balance is like the light at the end of the tunnel, what we should aim for, the holy calice, the cure. For others, it is literally a reward for a hard life, a hard search. And then, it's a state of being. Defining balance for me is one thing. Now, the second one is to sustain it, if that is the goal in itself. So, indeed, Balance is taught, is preached as a life goal. Peace, harmony, balance, all of us immediately have pictures in the back of our head whenever we hear these words. This can be a desert, a meadow, this can be a stone garden, this could be a volcano, this could be a mountain, a mountain lake, maybe. Any one of you remember young grasshoppers? Well, Many of these images instantly bring up religious, quasi-religious or philosophical ideas. Balance, peace, quiet. Most modern religions, most modern philosophies are centered around this. This is what we should, as individuals, aim for. This has not always been the case, actually. And looking at older religions, they have all been eliminated changed, mutated into something else. Why? Because their existence, their philosophies, seem quite incompatible with balance. If I have to believe the surviving text, these religions were much more busy with natural events, natural elements, solstices, eclipses, volcanoes, earthquakes, and at the first degree, they did not seem to be hell-bent on reforming the individual or teaching us life philosophies. Organizing societies? Yes, certainly. And if you did not believe the gods, if you were not following the precepts, you were going to be punished by humans, obviously. Yes, the gods would punish you sometimes, but mostly it would be humans who throw you from a high rock or bury you alive, as in Rome. So for the older religions, essentially humans were part of an ecosystem. The idea was not to reform or for the individual to find an individual balance. That came only much, much, much later, actually, 1st, 2nd century AD, current era, as per modern speech. Still, the idea of the older religions was not to create perfect humans. Now, it does not mean that these older religions have been entirely banned or that they disappeared entirely. No, they have been reshaped, they have been reinterpreted into something much more proper. For me, this is social engineering. Social engineering actually at its best, as this is the individual trying to create itself into the image of what society in commas wants. Invariably, any of these retelling of older religions say something about individual balance. 
Whenever the religions could not entirely be banned, hence, they were reformed. So, yes, the most frenzied religions of the past, however attractive they were, disappeared, whether they are the Pans, the Bacchus, the Quetzalcoats, including or not human sacrifice, many of them included actually frenzied worship. Let's take an example we are all aware of, Kali, whether it is through movies for the Western folks or whether it is by direct worship or direct experience for the Eastern folks. Forearm Kali went through reform. And if you look at what the cult is all about today, which is kind of personal balance, and this seems quite the opposite of where it comes from, where it genuinely looks like the chaotic side of Shiva. Now, what happened in the past, whether it was Votan or San Renos, all of the originator gods of, I would say, the large, called the large religions, were not that nice guys. And this is what Neil Gaiman, the uh, script writer, the sci-fi author, uh, has made a fortune of. It's by reminding us who these guys really were. I would advise that you watch American Gods and look at it through the lens of the main character or the second main character being actually Votan. In the movie, in the book, in the TV series, he's just an old guy who is trying to rack up supporters, as we do on social media, actually. That is before we actually projected on them our own monotheist values. Whether we call it Votan, whether we call it Saninos in the Western world, we actually apply to them things which we have learned from a very different religion, which is a monotheist religion. Without these unifying social engineering, it should be argued that indeed the mega civilization, the mega societies we know today would be quite impossible. We may very well have stayed in the state of the warring states, the warring cities as in Greece or the warring states as in China. We needed this kind of unifying uh, philosophies, these unifying goals of balance and personal fulfillment to actually achieve the constructions we did. So if religions and philosophies are a sublimation of our individual aspiration, then we know very much what we are asked to believe in, what we are asked to reach out for. We are instructed, actually, to be balanced. All modern religions also have a very strong contemplative arm. They go beyond simply working social ideology. They propose literally intellectual, philosophical retreats to reach that balance. Take any religion you know, Zen Buddhism, Chan Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, you will always find one strong contemplating arm. That arm, that division, will always be considered as a kind of elite. They dedicate their life in looking for, in searching for illumination, but also, and probably, first and foremost, individual balance. We all have images of these monks. Call them Benedictines, call them Sufis, call them Shaolin, call them Sadhus, call them Nihangs. All of them propose different ways to reach that personal, that ideal mindset. It is singing, it is dancing, it is reflecting, it is reading, it is sharing, 
it could be living in cells, it could be being out there in the world, but for all of them, finding balance is pretty much at the center of their personal quest. So some religions and philosophies actually have made this concept much more pragmatic and let's say much nearer to the way I look at this balance versus imbalance discussion. Their worldview is actually based on the simultaneous existence of opposing elements. That means that at the very same time, light can't exist without dark, good does not exist without evil, happiness does not exist without sadness, and so on and so forth. The best example probably is Taoism or Taoism, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Its most known representation is the famous yin and yang circle. This is deservedly so. Actually, it does describe, it does visualize in very striking terms the simple complementary elements. Complementary. And this is where, personally, I think we can take this to the next level. Complementary is not opposing. This, at this point of time, can lead to an extremely static view of the world. Let's come back. If the elements are complementary, basically what we are saying is that conflict and tension are just a perception. The good and the bad cancel each other out. The tension, as some may argue, does not actually exist. It is not real. Let me translate it in attitudes or discussions you probably have already had. Well, surely black and white can come to some kind of arrangement, to some kind of agreement to pacify actually life. The secret of balance for many of the followers are exactly in mixing the yin and the yang. For me, this is just coming back to a definition of life as stillness, of balance as a frozen state. If we move from this contemplative pacified version of balance, we are moving nearer to my personal, possibly your personal, experience in everyday life. How to explain the turmoil? And to do so, why if, on the very contrary, these opposing elements, these black and these white, never lost their core opposition? This would mean that actually, at any given point of time, both elements exist. The only difference would be during the timeline, one goes up, the other goes down, and so on and so forth. They continuously coexist, yin and yang, but in different proportions. And that is the way I look at this yin and yang sang, uh, example, this yin and yang symbol. This is simply creating a 4D version of a 2D symbol, two dimensions vertical or horizontal, and you can plot. And then you've got your 2D version of yin and yang with the famous commas of black and white and the black and white dots. However, make it spin, give it volume, make it a marble, and then move it along a timeline. Then you've got really the way I think we have balance. Balance is a dynamic and fluid alternate state between opposing state, opposing statement, opposing idea. Alternatively, you could keep actually the original ideas of the Taoist yin-yang, but then you come to an idea that balance equals comfort. 
I don't think that balance is equal. Confirm balance is the acceptance that opposite state exists at any given time. So balance as a goal, balance as a search, as a quest, balance as a representation. But overall, we aim for so far a balance. We are looking for balance. As often, Zen Buddhism is yet again completely revolutionary. This is one of the most elaborate search for balance in, in itself. But the true fascination is not so much into its goal. The true fascination of Zen Buddhism is on the way it happens. It solely relies on pure revelation. You look at water, you look at the sky, you talk to somebody, you broom your room, you think. Any and every single one of the above can lead you to satori, can lead you to actually revelation. That is a rather unique idea, a rather unique concept among all of the life philosophies. Satori, the revelation, is in and by itself the end goal. What it means, nobody knows. What it feels like, nobody knows. You just are in a Satori state. It strikes whenever it wants to strike. It, it can't be planned, it can't be graded. It's not peer-reviewed as a feeling. And then the world opens up and you're done. Well, to me, it seems more a way to accept the void of human ambition in general, which I can agree on, much more so than a practical guide to help us how to live, frankly. Now, I'm sure that many of you have got either points to make, which I'm more than happy to answer either on my blog or uh, in uh, on Spotify and so on. But for most philosophies and religion, there is a certain idea, a certain shape of what balance should look like. And we may all be on some path or the other, or looking for it, or at any given point of time, along the, the spread between the completely constructed calm, which could be balance, that is a manufactured calm, up until the revelation of Satori, the revelation that would come, for example, with Zen Buddhism. There is a full spectrum of, end, uh, of answers, and, and I'm sure that any and every single one of these answers actually make us, as human move a little bit forward. But if the goal is simply to be at peace with oneself, as you remember from my beginning, my uh, opening argument, I think that imbalance, on the contrary, for all of us, instantly expresses ideas of negative feelings. We should avoid imbalance. Imbalance is bad for you, and so on and so forth. And hence, for me, the, the real question of balance is why? Why do we look for balance? After all, whatever happens, we cannot all crave, we cannot all afford to live a monkish three-by-three life, okay? We can all be expected, cannot all be expected to dedicate entirely our life in looking for balance. Because after all, if we've got to dedicate our entire life to for balance, there is not much point in living this life, right? Well, what do we have as an alternative? And is this debate simply something artificially created? Well, personally, I would say just go to an airport, check into any library or bookstore 
which is over there, look at the titles and you will have how to become the most successful CEO ever. You will have how to be the best cook ever, not a problem, but you will have also a wall of self-help books, which are all about being balanced and finding balance. If it is not even instant happiness. I think that overall, whether it is religion, whether it is in business, whether it is in daily philosophies, the world is pretty much screaming at us to get balance. Is that really actually necessary? So only, it's not only what people, what religions, what the group tells us about balance that is important. It's also what we individually as humans tell ourselves. Well, some of our personal experience point at what balance could be. Whenever you wake up in the morning, whenever you are actually falling asleep, ideas live in our memories as to what balance looked and felt like. Let's be honest here. Obviously, comfort, peace, quiet, always sound very good. Let's take an example. White sand beach, pina colada, the sun is setting on the sea. Your feet are, you know, crumbling the white sandy beach. And you think, ah, how I wish this could last forever. Well, without spoiling it for anybody, this perfect moment is quite a construct of our mind. So first and foremost, it can only be the moment because right there, right then, either the glass will become too cold, but certainly the sun will end up setting. Two, do we really want to spend all eternity flash frozen in that very moment? Or is it just an intellectual figure of speech? Is that something which we felt like thinking because, hey, that's the reward we were looking for? Three, Actually, this balance feeling, this feeling of completedness does not exist by itself. It does exist because there is an after, there is a before. It exists because the beach is an expression which is in opposition to other states, other locations, either exercises. For example, there is to be an office before and an office after, so that I can really taste, enjoy that particular moment. But the truth is that this moment is a complete construct. That so-called moment of harmony, of balance, can only exist in a general context of disharmony, of imbalance. For me, this is why balance sounds like a great idea, if I take it as a moment frozen in time. But if this is a moment frozen in time forever, this sounds much more like death. So in our questions, we are now down to, is the search for balance an end goal? As an individual, obviously, living in a perfectly balanced and harmonious life seems quite naturally to be the enviable state. If this moment, however, of balance or harmony can only exist in a context of disharmony or imbalance, I'm wondering, is finding balance a legitimate search as such? Is it even possible to actually find balance? It is difficult to argue that we yearn for balance. This is a human instinct. 
people like to sleep. I like to sleep. But is it a goal or an aspiration? Both balance and imbalance actually coexist naturally. At the very core, balance and imbalance are both parts of the same movement. And if you go one step up and look at movement as such, you will see that imbalance is actually one phase of it. Hence, can we actually wish for the movement to stop entirely? So to reach balance, this is what seems to be sometimes suggested. In another word, is the absence of motion, is the absence of drive, is the absence or the denial of envy really a state where the individual thrives? Can we make balance more than just a justification for an animal need to rest? Is it something different? What does it mean practically, actually, to be in balance? Let's try and picture it. Let's try to visualize it. You find your ultimate balance. You are totally at peace with yourself, with your environment. You do not fight anymore. You do not thrive anymore for anything. You do not reach out. You have no cravings. You have no envy anymore. Do you still have any kind of drive? Probably not. You have found a higher truth. You have found a state in which calm and contentment is the name of the game. You have reached balance through a lack of passion. But how can that work? Because, at least for me, after all, passion is built in as humans. This is a human emotion. We are driven by one of the most powerful human vector. We can and we will always strive for something. It will start with food and water, if I believe Maslow, up and including higher ideals. And any and every single one of these rights may be our main vector, our main motion. Well, now let's go back that this could be a goal in and by itself. To achieve that, we need to remove passion and drive. To do that, as a precondition, we need at least partial or total isolation from our surrounding. Indeed, this is why monks actually develop stone gardens, caves, small cells, and so on. But if I've got to define this within the context of life, of a society, if the only way forward for an individual to find balance would be to completely retreat, to completely isolate, well, ultimately, no society would last very long. To function, the state of balance, to exist, balance needs to be compatible with our own natural environment. We cannot find balance only through isolation, else this would actually defeat the very purpose of living. Balance as a goal in itself seems quite unnatural. This is maybe an aspiration. This can't be a goal. Balance alone is quite impossible. 
And we've got to accept that balance and imbalance do coexist as natural occurrences. Balance hence is a transient state. It can be a vector, it can be a motivator, but it can't be an end goal. Finding balance in life does not hold up as a goal in and by itself. Balance can't be simply the antithesis of passion. It works in Star Wars, and we all can understand the opposition between extremely wise Jedis versus the enraged Sith living by their passion. However, this does not work for me. This does not work whenever I commute. So, what to do now? How does balance position itself in the chain of events that makes up our lives? If it is not the end state, what comes after? What comes before? How does it play practically in our lives? Let's take this conflict between harmony and disharmony, the tension between balance and imbalance, as a base. The conflict between harmony and disharmony is actually a fundamental drive, maybe the fundamental drive, not only for individuals, but for humankind in general. We define it actually as the birth of civilization itself. Look at all the civilizations around the world. They define themselves by a before, chaos, and an after, order. Rome is invaded by furious hordes. These furious hordes settle down. Then it becomes Western Europe. Then after a couple of thousand years of fights, France and the UK finally come to an agreement and so on and so forth. Ultimately, pacification of the tensions endlessly play into creating civilization. That is exactly the same as what you can see, for example, with the Great One of China or the kamikaze in Japan. The kamikaze as in the sacred wind, which actually allowed the settlement of Japan as an independent island. The very discussion about tension between harmony and disharmony seems completely natural. There are many cultural myths that we attribute to it and make it as the birth of mankind itself. The fight between chaos and order has been written down for centuries, whether you call it Kronos and the Titans, the Titans, from which you've got Zeus, Jupiter, if you prefer, which emerge as a creator god. All the creator gods around the world, whether you take Wotan or you take Zeus and so on, actually express the win of order over chaos, but are continuously striving to maintain that order against chaos. Think about the giants and Wotan as an example. This is true for the Christian Bible, obviously, as well. This conflict between harmony and disharmony is actually present, is actually ingrained in every culture I know of. So much so that actually nobody better than I at the philosophical side of Star Wars at all. Its fundamental appeal, its global fundamental appeal, was to play on themes that sounded familiar to everyone. That is, until somebody had the brilliant idea to explain the Force with midi-chlorians. 
sad to say, but whether we believed in the first act, the pantomime opposition of the first Star Wars movie between extreme good and extreme evil, the fact is that around the world, all of us started scratching our head when the whole Star Wars franchise went into midi-chlorians, the spiritual amoebias, which explain the Force. As long as we had harmony and disharmony, emotion versus reason, a fluid state in between two, the two states, we completely bought in. Balancing between realms and whales and, and states of good and evil, light, dark, harmony, disharmony, and we human being continuously on the scale between these two extremes, between the two heroes, between the Jedi's and the Thys, this we bought in. Need, aspiration, passion are built in our life. So is reason, so is balance, so is imbalance. Denying this is totally counterproductive as a guideline to live our lives. Balance and imbalance reflect our actual experience. Imbalance itself is a very powerful motion vector. We strive for something, we move towards something. We move fundamentally to go somewhere, to achieve something, to fulfill our most basic needs, like food or water, up and including to the highest possible ones. And everything and anything in between, every shade, every color is possible. It is the combination of balance and imbalance that takes us forward, exactly like when we walk. Now let's look at what we found out. First and foremost, that imbalance and balance both coexist structurally in our lives. Accepting imbalance is very counterintuitive. This we cannot deny. This is extremely counterintuitive, especially if we try to explain that we want to live into a state of continuous flux. Let's just imagine to be driven continuously and solely by the next craving, the next passion, the next drive, the next idea. That would be an eternity in chaos, an eternity in turmoil, balance in balance, balance in balance, balance in balance, indefinitely, again and again and again and again. Honestly, that would just be the recipe for dissatisfaction. So what to do about this? Fortunately, our life is actually not like that at all. We do not live into one dimension. We do not live on one level, whether for food, whether for water, whether for idea, whether for cravings. We no, neither live in one and one only reality. We live in a series of layered existences. These existences are spiritual, and they can be many different spiritual types. They are physical, obviously. They can be ideological when we want to placate on the universe, a theory, an ideal. It can be social, obviously. It can be religious, and that is just naming a few. Each of these existences themselves are ruled by different series of dimensions. These dimensions, in turn, create simultaneous series of balance and imbalances. Each of these 
series of balances and imbalances has their own cycle, their own timing, and their own relative importance, the priority we want to give them. This is exactly like an orary. So let's take a practical example to illustrate this theory of layered existence. Let's take a basic example. Bob is happily married with Jane. Bob is a salesman for company XYZ. However, this year, Bob is struggling and he does not reach his sales targets. This means no bonus, no promotion. So the year after, Bob works double hard for this. Not only does he get the bonus at the end of the year, but he gets the promotion he was thriving for. At the same time, maybe because he worked so hard, his wife leaves him and he is now facing potential divorce. The first year, Bob's personal life was in perfect balance. His work life was in balance with quarterly meetings which were going worse and worse. The second year, on the contrary, with the double work, it's the other way around. His work life is balanced, his personal life is in balance. Both existences exist, coexist. Both existences at the same time means a layered existence in Bob's life. Hence, this is just an illustration of each of these cycles, each of these existences comes with its own dimensions, its own timeline, its own rhythm. In this example, we see a series of balances and imbalances, each of these having their own world, their own rules, their own existence. This is the ability to understand the cycles, the timing, and to define our own priorities in the example of Bob, whether it is work or personal relationship that define our life. We do live as individuals at the very center of many different harmonics which exist with their own rhythm. Actually, let's say that life is like an orrery. Let's compare life with a gravity system, a galaxy. Planets revolve around the sun, moons revolve around planets, satellites revolve around moons, and so on and so forth. Each and every single one of the planets are actually their own systems. So are the moons, and so on and so forth. The reality is that each of these systems will eventually lose energy. Call it a few seconds, or call it millions of years, or call it eons. This is not structurally different. Even passion runs out of steam, whether in our lives or whether in the world in general. But what we do know is that when one of the orbits decays, another one picks up momentum. And hence, the whole entire galaxy, the whole entire system on the human scale seems balanced. Our, ad our advantage as individual is quite simply that we have the ability to transfer momentum, to decide the priorities between these systems. In a world, we can actually transfer energy and momentum from one of these systems, which is moving through 
balance in balance cycles to power the next one with losing steam or on the contrary, we want to focus on. This is how we get our motion back again, whether we decide it lucidly, consciously or unconsciously. If we lose momentum or if we lose aspiration, if we lose passion, we can't bring the entire system to a halt. This is not a solution. This is not a solution to bring the system down simply to reach an aspiration balance. Let's go back to the example of Bob. So Bob has reached his bonus. Bob has reached his promotion. In this, Bob is the galaxy. His work, however, is but one planet. The moons are his bonus and the promotion, which come with the job. And finally, around the moon, the title, the parking space next to the elevator. These are satellites from the moons. Bob's marriage is another planet. And if Bob thinks that his own private life is a priority for him, he will transfer his energy, his focus, his momentum from one planet, the work, into the other. What would be the alternative solutions? Well, to stop entirely one of the systems, to stop entirely work, to focus on the marriage. We know, however, that this would mean that the entire system, the entire galaxy, would simply come to a halt. Balance is not a state. Balance is not an end state. It is a continuous, a perpetual movement of cycles within cycles. So how can we live with the state of flux? To come back to our initial question. We know that imbalance and balance will alternate within the same time frame. They could very well be completely concomitant. However, we know as well that these balances and imbalances will happen at different times within different live streams. This just sounds so exhausting to be moving through one and the other. Well, let's visualize what we are told. Let's visualize what these alternative states could be. Here, let's list simply states which we are told are mutually exclusive. So chaos and order, we're clear. Disharmony and harmony. Balance in balance, this is what we are talking about. Movement, stillness. But let's take it a step higher. War and peace. Progress, stagnation. Life, death. Emotional, reasonable. If we look for physics, entropy, negantropy. We are indeed taught that all of these pairings are totally mutually exclusive. War can't be peace, peace can't be war. Actually, they are not, and we know that. How do we know that? It's because we do have even sayings that are inspired by that. Civis pacem parabellum, or, if you don't speak Latin fluently, to get peace, prepare for war. That's been around for centuries, literally. Let's take practical examples. Wasn't World War I 
the last of the last wars and we were going to create peace for nations through the link of nations. Well, guess what happened? For me, as Chairman Mao said, war is not fatal, which means that war in itself is just a state. On an individual level, this means for us to take a step back and look at all of these periods as a continuity, progress to stagnation to progress, chaos to order to chaos, war, peace to war. The only thing that is final is death, when the system stops working. Else, all of these pairings create tensions. Tensions create movement. We can use this movement to restart one other cycle. When I'm feeling content with my surrounding, I know that these feelings will grow stale eventually. I know as well that my emotions will never cease to be. Hence, my surroundings, your surroundings, will take on new meanings because of the sparks you are using, you are injecting into these cycles. For me personally, I do believe that harmony is critical in my life. However, I have to accept that this will come with disharmony, as my partner's schedule, for example, may be totally different. Hence, my anxiety about the future will always kick in, quite naturally, in one form or the other. I have to accept that, but also I have to use that. I have to use that as a spark to reignite any cycle which may be on the edge of slowing down. For me, this is where I look at all the levels which are happening in the instant, in the moment, trying to list all the different cycles I'm part of. And from there, take courage, take inspiration, take rest from one cycle into another. This is also allowing me to actually reach, at any point of time, a momentary contentment, which allows me to bridge the chaos into another problematic system. Practically speaking, let's imagine that social pressure actually distracted me from my focus to write this article. It threw off my train of thought. For a couple of hours, I was unable to conclude. However, the concurrent pleasure to get into the occasion, to talk to people, to share my research, actually offsets my lack of focus, my distraction. It complements and will ultimately improve my finding, improve this article, improve this podcast. At first, however, it feels totally disruptive. Individual balance is not a state in and by itself. Individual balance is a system which is balancing conflicting states. It is balance and imbalance. It is harmony and disharmony. It is literally chaos and order. So life is movement. Movement is imbalance. Imbalance is chaos. So life is chaos. For us individuals, the system will perpetuate itself. Movement will never stop. The system will not, however, balance one individual cycle, one individual planet. It is not the matter either of a single motion petering out, slowing down. There are 
many multiple parallel systems of balances and imbalances in our very life. It is that total system that will create our actual equilibrium in our lives. This is layering, this is alternating peace and conflict, harmony and disharmony, that is the fundamental texture of life.